As we have in the past, um, or actually just last week, uh, I would like to invite all of our children, whatever age mom and dad's comfortable with that, just to come on down forward. We have a little story time for them. And we're going to talk a little bit about a couple of the things that we are going to discuss in the adult sermon. Just come on down. Don't be shy. Don't make Mr. Toby sit down here by himself. Very good. Well, it's good to see some of you back again. And for those of you who are, this is your first time, welcome. Now, who can tell me who we talked about last week? You remember? Who did we talk about? Uh, we talked about cookies. That's right. Very good. <laughs> Smart kids. But there was someone, a story that we read. Do you remember? Sugar, that's right. But who was the guy? What was the man's name that we talked about? Talk, I'll tell you what, I'll turn the book around. Maybe this will give you a hint. Who did we talk about? Who? Yeah. Not David, a little bit before David. I'll, th- I'll give you one more hint. It starts with a J and rhymes with Osef. Joseph, very good. All right. Yes, last week we talked about Joseph. And Joseph was a man that had all of these interesting characters in his life. And I don't know if you've ever not gotten along too well with your brother or your sister, or maybe you've argued or fought, but Joseph kind of had that too. Well, his brothers got really mad at him, and so they threw him in a well, and I think that's where we left off last week. Let's see here. Give the pictures up so our, your parents can follow along. They want to be included. So here we are at the bottom of the pit, and this is where we left off. Let's start reading this story. So this is Joseph speaking. And he says, Soon I was on my way to Egypt as a slave. I traveled with a large caravan of men and camels. But slaves don't ride with camels. Slaves have to walk. And I wondered if I would ever see my home again. I wondered if my father would miss me. I knew he was sad, and I was sad too. In Egypt, the men spread out all the things that they wanted to sell. See that? They had rugs and bells and spices and me. And a man named Potiphar bought me to help him with his work. But God was kind even in Egypt, even as a slave. Potiphar liked my hard work, and soon he put me in charge of almost everything in his house. Things are going pretty good for Joseph. Well, Potiphar's wife liked me too. And she would say, Oh, Joseph, you are so handsome. Come and sit by me. Joseph knew that was wrong. And he would say, I have something more important to do for your husband. But one day she grabbed me my cloak and said, come to bed with me. And Joseph said, how could I do such a terrible thing? I would sin against God. I would sin against your husband. And I ran out of there as fast as I could. Ran so fast, I left my cloak behind. Which, by the way, that's pretty fast. Soon I heard screams coming from the house. And Potiphar's wife said, Joseph tried to hurt me. Which wasn't really true. And here is his cloak, she said. And that's how Joseph ended up in jail. But God was with me even in prison. 
The warden was kind, and I did not cause any trouble, so soon he put me in charge of all the other prisoners. And I remembered home and my father and my brothers, and I remembered those silly dreams that I had, and I wondered about the moon and the stars and the bundles of grain. No one was bowing down to me right now. I thought that no one ever would. I wondered if my father would ever see me alive. And then the king of Egypt Egypt got angry at his cupbearer and his baker. And so he sent them to jail with me. And one morning they looked extra sad. And I said to them, what's wrong? And they said, in my dreams, the cupbearer said, I saw three branches of grapes. And I was serving the king again. Your dream will come true, I told him. The three, branch, uh, the three branches are three days. In three days, you'll be serving the king again. So the baker looked at me and said, well, I had a strange dream too. I had three baskets of bread on my head, and the birds were picking at the bread. And Joseph said, unfortunately, your dream will also come true. And it will not work out too well for you. I'm sorry. In three days, it all happened just the way it, I said it would. The baker had died, and the cupbearer returned back to working for the Pharaoh. But he forgot about prison, and he forgot about me. Poor Joseph, he is having a hard time, but he'll get to the Pharaoh. But tonight we're going to talk about all the events that God used to get him where God wanted him to be. Do you guys know what plans are? Anybody know what what are plans? They're, they're kind of like, they're things that you make to decide what you want to do. Do you guys want to see some plans? You know, youth ministers, we don't do much during the week. We just wander around the building and we find cool stuff. You want to see something cool that I found? Okay. These are plans. And do you know what they're plans for? These are plans for the very building that we are in. Isn't that cool? Do you know what those are called? They're blueprints. And that's because they're kind of blue. Well, these are plans for how the elders long time ago decided they wanted this building to be. And they decided how high they wanted the ceiling. And they decided where they wanted those lights to be. And all those pews out there. They decided where those were going to go. And all that is right here in the plans. But you know the thing about plans? Sometimes our plans change. And we do things differently than we intended. And even though we had all these great plans, God had different plans. In fact, there used to be a wall right over there. And the elders said, that's where we want the wall to be. And God said, nope, it's not big enough. And we had all different changes that we've made in this building over time. Human, our, our plans will change. Your plans will change. But God's plans never change. So I want to give you a memory verse to stay with you. And what you're going to do is take one. Tyler, would you help me pass these out and give everybody one, please? And we're going to learn Psalm 33, verse 11. Okay? It's a real simple verse to learn. And it's just exactly about what we talked about. It's about plans. 
Okay, you can share. That'll be great. All right, we're going to read that in just a second. And Tyler gets them passed out here. Psalm 33, verse 11 says, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of His heart through all generations. And what that means is, our plans, you and I, we're going to change. Our plans for our building and our church, all of those things will change. But God's plans are forever. The purposes of His heart don't change. And God had a plan for Joseph, and He has a plan for you too. I think everybody's got one now. Can we say that verse together? Just repeat after me if you can't read. If you can read it, just read it on your paper. The plans of the Lord... But the plans of the Lord, can you repeat after me? But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. So that's your memory verse. I want you to work on that this week, okay? Now, you have two choices. You can go back and sit with your parents, or you can go with Mr. Ben. He's in the back. Wave hi, Mr. Ben. He can take you. There's a kid's hour if you'd like to go. If your parents say that's okay, you can go back with Mr. Ben and work on your memory verse, okay? Thanks for coming, guys. Well, we continue our series on the story of Joseph. And um, just take a look at my watch here. Oh, notice that I haven't said it forward yet. Well... I guess if there's any need, please come as we stand and sing. As we continue talking about the story of Joseph, I remind you that we said there are five elements in every story, and tonight we're on the second of those elements. You remember I I illustrated the five elements of every story with this story, right? Every story has five basic things. The first is characters, and in my story that was me and Tyler. The second is plot. That is the sequence of events. What's the purpose of what's happening? We wanted to go sledding. The third is the conflict. For us, that was gravity. The fourth is resolution, which is what solves the conflict. For me, that was propofol. And the fifth is the ending, which is how the story, how the characters are different at the end of the story than they are at the beginning. So this week we talk about plot. And we're going to examine four areas of Joseph's life that have to do with the plans of God. Now, I don't know what type of person you are, but I'm very type A, like my plans. Love to have a plan, love to have a methodical way of doing it. And once I find a way that works, I don't change it. And my wife tells me this drives her crazy about me. I mean, she says crazy in a good way, like I'm crazy about you. She, she says It drives her crazy because I don't try anything new. I get my hair cut at the same place. I've been eating at Subway for 20 years. I always like to park a certain way. I have things that I find that I plan out that are part of my procedure, and they work for me. And once they work, I don't want to change them. Well, the problem is is that when we look at our story and how God works in that story, He doesn't work as efficiently as People like me like him too. Now, there are some of you in here that are free spirit, loosey-goosey, everything's great, just roll with it kind of people. I'm not one of those people, but you you and God work well together. 
Because God takes people like me and he just laughs. He has a real sense of humor. Well, as we look at Joseph's story tonight, we are going to examine some of the ways in which God used his plot to bring a, a prince to the palace. But it wasn't a straight shot. It took some things along the way. There are four major events that happened in Joseph's life. Four major events in Genesis chapter 37 through 40, roughly. And we start at one end with this perplexing prophecy. And the perplexing prophecy is not only hard to say, but it was even harder to interpret. Because Joseph was favored by his father, so his brothers didn't like him. And then they think, man, he's getting a big head because he's, he's doing all of this dreaming about how we're going to bow down to him. He had this dream about shocks of week bowing down to him. And then the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. And his father and mother said, you really think, son, do you really think that we're going to bow down to you? Quite a bit of arrogance. But you remember his father, Jacob, had a dream of his own. And a very unusual thing happened where he wrestled with God. And so the scripture says that Jacob kept the matter in mind. Well, that dream led his brothers to hate him. The scripture says they hated him all the more. And so that took him to the second part of the plot, which was the perilous pit. And from here, he realized that things were going to change in his life. That things were different for him, and yet he didn't know how it was going to work out. From the perilous pit, his brothers sold him into slavery, and he ended up at Potiphar's place. A Potiphar's place was a pretty nice place, and he actually did pretty well. It's here that we see this pattern coming where Joseph is one of those people that you knock him down, but he gets back up. He's like one of those old punching bags. I couldn't find one. I really wish I could have. But it has sand in the bottom, and you air it up, and you knock it down, and it just gets right back up. And you knock it down, and it gets right back up, and you knock it down. And that just seems to start happening for Joseph. Potiphar's a smart man. I'm sure he has many servants. And he notices that every time Joseph gets involved, things are successful. And he says, hey, if this guy is that successful, I'll just put him in charge of all of it. I'll just have me and Mrs. Potiphar over here. We'll just collect the checks. And that's the plan. And they put Joseph in charge. He's a man of integrity. He's young. He's handsome. Though he's a servant, he's still doing pretty well. Unfortunately, as we know, Potiphar's wife has other intentions. And she views him, and she tempts him. And Joseph's a man of integrity, a man after God's own heart. And he refuses her. And even though he does the right thing, the wrong thing still happens. I'm looking at my youth group, and and I want to tell you guys always, always, always to do the right thing. But I cannot promise you that when you always, always, always do the right thing, that the right thing will always happen back. That's integrity. And so because of Potiphar's wife and the lie that she told, Joseph finally ended up in the pungent prison. And he stayed there for a long time. And again, he was knocked down, but God got him back up. He gave him these dreams that he could interpret. He interprets for some very powerful people. And then he was forgotten. And Joseph is left in prison. It's not like our days, you know, where we promise due process and all of that. He, was, he could have been there for weeks or months or, or years. They could have just locked the key and forgot altogether. He could have died there. But you see, God had a plan 
for Joseph. And it was ultimately to get him to Potiphar's palace. But these four events had to happen first. Sometimes when we look at the story of our lives and we think, God, what are you doing here? We have to remember what the verse I told to the kids tonight. Psalm 33, verse 11. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. It is easy for me, Toby, to make a plan, to have a goal, to shoot for it. But there's going to be lots of things that get in the way. God has a different plan than what Toby does. And so we have to be patient. And I think there are three pretty powerful lessons that we can learn from Joseph's plot. First of all, God's plan is better than your plan. I know you think you know how to do it. But remember the verse that Tyler read for you? Lean not on your own understanding. Because when you lean on your own understanding, that's usually when things get messed up. Ask a woman named Sarah if anything got messed up when she trusted her own understanding. You know, I'm a logical thinker, though. You know, if in my mind God could get Pharaoh from the perilous pit to Pharaoh's palace that way. I learned in geometry a long time that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Am I not correct? Why couldn't God have simply thrown into the pit, and as they sell him into slavery, Pharaoh's buyers are out that day, and they purchase Joseph and skip going to Potiphar's place, skip going to prison, skip all of that time and just make a, a beeline straight for Potiphar's palace. What is the problem? Well, this is a, a perilous question to ask. Because anytime you get into the why did God kind of question, you get in dangerous territory. Because to answer it, you have to presume arrogantly, that you have the wisdom of God to know his purposes and his plans. So I, I'm not going to venture into why God, but I know that anytime God does something, he has a purpose in it. So let me throw this out there. I think that Joseph learned exactly what God needed him to learn at exactly the right time in these events. Think about it. Although in my version, you know, where he goes from uh, the pit directly to the palace, Joseph would have saved several chapters off the Bible and several years off of his young life and simply gone straight into the position of power. Would he have learned what he needed to learn? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7, the prophet said, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves are always green. Now catch this. It does not worry in the year of drought, and it never ceases to bear fruit. When we are connected to the Lord, that is, when we trust fully, Completely, confidently in him, 
we know that however our path winds through this world, God can still make our leaf green. He can still bear fruit in our lives. I know some people like to try to graph, you know, Joseph's life and it's like up and down and up and down and up and down. I don't think it was like that at all. And faith walking for Joseph looks a lot like faith walking looks for us. It's like down, around, in circles, up and down and all around, taking kind of this wandering path. And it seems like there's no purpose behind it. But that is exactly the wrong way to think about how God is using your path. Think about it. When he was a slave, did Joseph learn servant leadership? Absolutely. Did he learn authority? Sure. When Potiphar put him in charge, did he learn principles of management? 100%. Did he learn lessons of integrity and trust? You better believe he learned from the school of hard knocks what a university education in Egypt could never have taught him. Now, you're looking at your path going, God, doesn't seem like I'm making a straight path here. What is going on? God, what are you trying to do? I'm not that presumptuous to answer for God. But I can tell you and show you what he did in Joseph's life. And what he will do in ours if we'll trust him fully and completely. You know Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 11. It's a famous one. It's a good one. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And we're nearing the time of graduation here in a couple of months. And you'll see that verse on many cards Perhaps you'll see it on a desk or a poster. It's a beautiful verse. But there's a verse that's attached to it. It's kind of like the cart and we've forgotten the horse. And so if you got your Bibles open, look at Jeremiah 29 verse 10. 29 verse 10 is where the meat of the promise comes true. You see, Jeremiah is not a joyful, happy book. It is not a a book full of wonderful promises and, and, and powerful things that inspire you and encourage you. No, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet for a reason. You see, Israel, the nation who, since its beginning, had struggled with God, had now struggled with God to the point so much that God was going to let them be a result of their own choices and be led into captivity. And God had taken the nation that was the once great people of God through men like Saul and David and Solomon, the powerful and mighty temple, the wall that surrounded the city. And this powerful, mighty people of God had now been broken down and separated and exiled into captivity. And Judah is heading out. The city, I'm imagining, is empty, and they're looking for Jeremiah, the prophet, the man of God. Give us some word of hope. Give us something here. And we think, 29 verse 11, man, that's it. Uh, I don't know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Amen to that. But look at verse 10. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... Then I will come to you 
to fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And we think, awesome, God's going to bring us back. Amen. That's going to be rally kind of time. But listen to what he says. When 70 years are completed. Think about what this room will look like in 70 years, okay? I tell you what. Play along with me. If in 70 years, the chances are pretty good that you will not be on this side of the dirt... Would you stand up? Go ahead, stand up. If you think 70 years you will be expired. <laughs> Look at the teens. We're going to live forever. <laughs> now think about it. You're exactly right. That may be true. With the exception of you and a few children in this room, you're going to be it. And God says, in 70 years, I'm going to bring you back, and then I'm going to fulfill my promise. Then I'm going to do what you expect me to do. And all of you guys go, oh, that's cool. And all of us go, wait a second. 70 years? I'm definitely not buying green bananas at that point. You can have a seat. This leads us to, well, I'll get to that point in just a second. When I was a child... I loved going to my grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Levering. Grandpa Levering had a wood shop inside that extended two-car garage with the buzzing fluorescent lights and the hard concrete floor was full of tools. Tools that could do a lot of damage to a seven-year-old. For that matter, tools that a lot of seven-year-olds could do damage with. I mean, we're talking about bandsaws and drills and drill presses and lathes, very sharp chisels. Very sharp picks and nails and hammers, planers and edgers and jointers, and the table saw. Oh, the table saw. Now, how is it that I could go into that shop and be perfectly okay? Well, it was because when you went into the shop, before you pushed through that screen door and heard the automatic closer pull it shut... There was one rule Grandpa gave you. Always listen to Grandpa and always do what he says. Now, beyond the tools, the plans, I definitely didn't understand. And I still remember we'd have dinner. Grandpa would lay in his chair for 30 minutes and sleep. And then we'd go out to the shop. And he'd remind me of the rule. And then we'd enter the Holy of Holies. And we'd go in, and he'd flip on those lights, and we'd sit at the workbench. And I'd sit on the stool, and he'd be standing, and he'd be looking at some plan books, and he'd flip through, and he'd find one, and he'd press it down with his hand. You could hear the paper crinkling. And he'd look at it, he'd rub his chin, he'd adjust his glasses. He'd breathe. He'd make weird breathing noises. Didn't say a word. Now I'm looking at it as a, as a seven-year-old. I'm looking at plans like this, and I don't know what they mean. I don't know what they tell him, but I trust Grandpa implicitly. I listen to him because he knows the plan. And if he says, Toby, we're going to go over here and drill three holes, that's what we did. And if he said, Toby, go get me a clamp so we can glue this, that's what we did. 
And he said, Toby, hold this sander. We're going to put the sandpaper in it. We're going to smooth it down till it's so, so smooth. That's what we did. Always trust Grandpa. Always listen because he knows better than you. In your life, there's lots of things going on. You're looking at the plans and going, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. I mean, if you come and look at these plans, there are things on here that only an architect can read. Only a, maybe a builder, maybe a contractor. Okay? But you look at these plans and you don't understand them. You just have to trust the guy that wrote them. You just have to put your faith in the man who follows them that everything's going to work out if you just follow the plan. That leads us to our next point. God's timing is better than your timing. Now, God's timing is certainly not the same as your timing, okay? There are two instruments in your kitchen that do principally the same thing, okay? They are the crock pot and they are the microwave. They both do the same thing, but in radically different ways. Steve talked this morning about that delicious, slow-cooked, slow-rub brisket. Best part of being on Northside staff, let me tell you. But Steve has never told Cindy to go in there and whip him up some delicious microwave barbecue. Why? Because what I'm finding in life is the best things in life cannot be done quickly. Could God have has transferred Joseph as a young 17-year-old to maybe a young 18-year-old serving in Pharaoh's palace? He probably could have. Would he have been ready for the job? Probably not. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. As you turn there, I'll tell you a story about a farmer. It's not the famous one that you know, but uh, a farmer goes out and he plans the harvest long before the harvest ever happens. We've got a lot of farmers in here who won't know way more about it than I do, I'll, I'll tell you that. But if a farmer is going to be successful months, maybe years, before the harvest, he has to be thinking... What am I going to do with the soil? When am I going to break it up? When am I going to plant the seed? When am I going to water the seed? How's the weather looking? What are the patterns? What are the trends? What crops do I need to plant? Once I've planted them, how am I going to feed them and, and nourish them and fertilize them? Once they begin to sprout, how am I going to protect them with insecticide and herbicide, all these different methods of protecting them from all the things that would try to hurt them? You see, in farming, we're back to crockpot style. It takes time to do it right. It takes thoughtfulness, and it takes continual persistence at the job. God's timing is not your timing. Unfortunately, in our world, we have, oh, we have way too many things that we do quickly. And we think that that works, right? It doesn't. I mean, in college, I'm a pretty good study. I can study things pretty quick. 
And I could take a bunch of notes and, and do an all-night cram session. And, and the cram session is exactly that. You're just cramming facts and figures into your brain as much as possible. And then, then you rush out the door and you don't want anybody to talk to you and you want to take the test as quickly as you can so you can bleh, do sort of a brain regurgitation. And, and you get the facts and the figures right and the test is passed, but have you learned anything? Probably not. You missed the opportunity. I mean, think about it. If Ron Mock hadn't done anything for farming the whole year, and then the day before harvest comes, and he says, you know, Ginger, I better get out there and start working on it. And so he gets out there in eight hours. He teals up the field another eight hours. He plants a seed. He puts some water out there with a big old fire hose. And then he goes to sleep and says, well, I've done all I can. Hope it works out. <laughs> He's not going to be a farmer. And, well, Ginger's not going to eat. We cannot do things quickly and do them right. Now, you're in 1 Peter 5, 6, right? All right. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, this verse to me has always stuck out because I've always imagined God's mighty hand. You know? My dad... I still, to this day, still think he has the biggest hands ever. And maybe it's just because of my dad. But, but he had this thing, this thumping thing, you know? Anybody here got the thump? You know what the thump is? Yeah, testify. Okay. So, he could, when I was doing something wrong, it was like out of nowhere, it was like ninja finger. Pfft. Where did that come from? Now, as all parents do, we simply mimic the practices of our parents. So I'm a pretty good thumper today, you know. Tyler does something wrong, take him out. And I always imagined God's mighty hand, kind of like a thumping, you know. Because I'm in ministry, all right? And I'm going to be honest. There are times when there are people I work with, maybe some of you, and I go, man, God, can you just thump them? Thump them. We just want to thump you. Get your head on straight. What are you doing? Come on. So I imagine God's hand is this punishing kind of thing. Boy! Thump you. But as I read this verse deeper, and I think about God's timing, I want to get a different picture, okay? Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, I don't want you to be presumptuous. You're not playing the role of God, but I do need you to raise your right hand, okay? Just put it up here. This is God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up in due time. Now, here's the thing I don't understand. How can God's mighty hand be upon me? I always imagine it pushing down, trying to squish me. And at the same time, be lifting me. And then, I got this visual from one of my kids. Thank you for keeping your hands up. Now pull out your other hand. Because you can't simultaneously lift and push at the same time. It's just not possible. So here's what I got. God's mighty hand coming down and God's other mighty hand lifting up. So that we close the hands together and now we have something cool. Because you know when little children do this, they have something really cool to show you that's really fragile. And God's mighty hand is not about thumping you. 
God's mighty hand is about being in that place of protection. You humble yourself. As that's a, Peter says that's a choice. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. You can be outside this hand all you want. God will let you wander out here, but you're very fragile. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. That he may lift you. Look. Look at this. Look at this. In due time. Think about who said that. Think about... How Peter said that. Peter was a, a rough, rugged fisherman with a swearing problem. And God looked at him and said, I'm going to use that one. He's going to be my preacher. And he said, Peter, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Oh, for those last three words. We hate those last three words. We hate them. In due time. God, I want, my, I want my barbecue now. I want, I want everything to work out now. I, I want it to work now. I want all the things that successful people have now without doing all the things that successful people have done then. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due timing. God's ways are not your ways. God's plans are better than your plans. And God's timing is better than your timing. Which leads us to the last point, that God's ways are better than your ways. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Turn there. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as higher as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Imagine a, a butterfly trying to explain to a caterpillar what's about to happen. Can't do it. Imagine an eagle trying to explain to a worm the view. These are poor illustrations. But God has purposes, God has ways, and we don't always get the luxury of understanding them. Let me tell you another story about my grandpa. I think I've told you before. He owned a hardware store in Douglas, Kansas. He's, he's been deceased about seven years now. The hardware store in Douglas, Kansas, as you might imagine, is not a huge operation. But to me, that building at the center of the town was the world. Next to the wood shop, it was the best place I could be. I mean, a seven-year-old in a hardware store, I mean, what, what could possibly go wrong? But they ran that store in Douglas, Kansas for over 40 years and then retired when I was in college. And my very first summer job was at that hardware store. Now, I love the hardware store. And the hardware store was arranged kind of like this one, you can't really see too well on the screen, but in the middle of the hardware store was like the hub of the action. It's where the old guys that were retired, these retired farmers had nothing to do. They come in, they chew the fat with grandpa. And the cash registers was where all the customers eventually ended up. The cash register, by the way, is also where the cash is. And as a 13-year-old, I thought that was a pretty cool place to be. 
So for my first job working for my grandpa at his hardware store, the number one thing I wanted to do more than anything was work at the cash register, right? I thought it was pretty big time. So grandpa and grandma, we go in the first day of work, and they show me where everything is, show me how to do things, give me a key. I say, Grandpa, I really, really would like to learn how to use the cash register. I need to learn how to use the cat. Can I use is it okay if I learn to use the cash register? I mean, I, I get all the other stuff, but the cash registers, where I, if you're seeing a pattern here, I would like to be at the center where the action is. Grandpa, rub his bald head, adjust his glasses. He said, well, Toby, I think today I would like you to sweep the floor. Sweep the floor? I don't want to sweep the floor. Really? I mean, Grandpa, look at I am your grandson. I can do more than sweep the floor. Ah, Toby, would you go ahead and sweep that floor? And so I begrudgingly swept the floor, always watching the cash register. Looks like they're having fun over there. I'd sweep that floor. I didn't do a very good job. I just kind of walked the aisles with a broom. And Grandpa would point that out. He'd say, yeah, you missed some spots there. Grandpa, it's under the shelf. Who's going to see it? <sighs> Next day, come back. Several days. Finally, decided Grandpa was not going to give up. So I took that floor, that push broom, and I did as good of a job as I could. And I pushed it down one side of the aisle. And I flipped, I almost had a routine. I'd come back and just do an aisle in just a matter of 30 seconds. Boy, I was proud. I'd get that whole store done in about 10 minutes. There were a lot of aisles, there were a lot of people and things that had to move around. But I'd get it done, and you couldn't find any dirt. You could eat off that floor. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but you could. So I came up to one day and said, Grandpa, hey, man, I've learned, I mean, I'm doing a good job on the floor. Yeah, yeah, totally looks good, yeah. I said, Grandpa, how about. You know, I've been doing a good job on the floor. How about that cash register now? Ah, well, Toby, I've been thinking, ah, you've been doing such a good job sweeping that floor in the front. I'd like you to sweep up the back floor. The back floor? That's harder than the front floor. I'm going down, not up. All right. Go to the back room where there's nobody. Use the push broom. Try to sweep up 40 years of dirt. Did it begrudgingly. Learned how to do it. One day I went back to Grandpa. Hey, Grandpa, come check this out. Look at this floor. I mean, it's not as clean as a front floor, but it's as clean as it's ever going to get. Boy, that floor looks good. Man, that's a good job. Hey, Grandpa, how about teaching me the cash register? Eh, Toby, I don't know. See, I've been thinking there's this other project. I need you to clean the back room. Now, you don't understand the back room. That means nothing to you. But imagine a room about this size filled with old lawnmowers and small engines and pipes and things that have been there with the building since 
the 1800s when they built it. Boxes and trash and messes everywhere. This thing was impossible. Grandpa might as well said, hey, Toby, I've been thinking. There's this Colosseum out in Rome. Why don't you rebuild that? But I knew Grandpa. He was a levering. He's stubborn. Once he made up his mind, he wasn't going to change it. So rather than argue and fuss, I began to tackle the back room one box at a time. Until finally, after like 47 years... I finally got done with the back room. Now, I was so proud because I'd learned to do the front and I learned to do the back and I'd cleaned the back room and I went up to Grandpa and I said, Hey, Grandpa, I got done with the back room. And he said, Oh, Toby, that's great. Wonderful. I didn't even say anything more. And I thought, Well, what kind of thanks is that? This guy's milking me for $4.25 an hour. I thought he was a loving man. But he was just hiding. Well, next day, those old guys, those retired farmers who came in, they come in and they chew the fat. They sit in those rocking chairs. And they say a lot of words that 13-year-olds should not hear. And they said, Hoy! That's my grandpa's name. I should explain that. Hoy! What in the world did you, what in the blankety-blank happened to the back room? I mean, there's a lot of blankety-blanks in this story that I'm leaving out, okay? But these old, retired, crusty farmers who had seen everything were talking to my grandfather about the beauty of the back room. And I smiled. And went back there and he said, yeah, he did a pretty good job. Pretty proud of that boy. He didn't say much more than that. End of the day, he said, Toby, I want you to go see Grandma tomorrow morning. Grandma's the bookkeeper. In the morning, we went in. She sorted through some things and said, Toby, you've been doing a real good job. We'd like to give you a raise. You're going to get 10 cents an hour more. (whistles) All right. We're proud of you. Keep up the good work. We appreciate it very much. All right. Thanks, Grandma. And I leave. And Grandpa's at the cash register. And he says, Hey, Toby. How'd you like to learn the cash register? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't even have to finish that story, do I? You know. God's got you where you are so that he can bring you exactly where he needs you to be. And you don't want to be in the front room sweeping or the back room sweeping or trying to straighten up things in this old back room. No. You just want all the glory up front, front and center right now. But God needs to train you. God's going to lift you up in due time, just like he did Joseph. And so that's the one thing I'm going to give you to finish on tonight. Persevere. Don't give up. You may be at the pit. You may be at Potiphar's place. Somebody's treated you wrong or unkind or unfair. You may be in prison. Wherever you are, don't give up on God. He's got a plan for you. 
His plan is better than your plan. His timing is better than your timing. And His ways are better than your ways. And you may not understand it, but sometimes I imagine God up in heaven rubbing His head and saying, Well, I have something else in mind for you. And He does. And it's going to be great. I pray that you'll not give up. You'll persevere in God's love and God's time. Tonight, if you have any need, please come. We'd love to help as together we stand and sing.